This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a bi-weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 11, and we are recording on Tuesday, January 12th. I'm Amanda Nelson, your host and managing editor of Book Riot, and I'm here with co-host Jen Northington, who is our events director. Welcome back, of course. Hey! If, <laughs> if you missed our open announcement last week and are wondering why Jen is here again, it is because we are moving to a weekly format from bi-weekly, and Jen is going to be my PERMA co-host. Hooray! Super so, excited. Yeah. So it's me and, me and Jen Joe. <laughs> Forever and ever, amen. There were a lot of jazz hands last week. There were. I sometimes wish, but not most of the time, but sometimes wish that you guys could see me while I'm recording, mm-hmm. um, but not always because I'm usually wearing my pajamas. That would be awkward. Um, so for those of you who are new to the show, this is a uh, recommendation show. You can write in your recommendation requests for books for you, for your book club, for gifts, um, for whatever. If you need something to like fill the Harry Potter void in your life, we can give you answers to that question. If you need a, a present for your great aunt or whatever, a book present, we can help you with that. We can help you with pretty much anything. So um, you can send your questions to us on Twitter. You can email them to us uh, at getbookedatbookwrite.com, or you can go onto the Get Booked section of the Book Riot website and just drop your question in the form that is at the bottom of every episode. Okay, so let's just go ahead and get started, yeah? Mm-hmm. All right, you want to read the first question? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay, okay good, good. <laughs> go to town. Uh, hello, uh, this question is from Jared. I graduated from college last May and am in my early 20s. I was wondering if you had any recommendations for postgrad books, what you think everyone should read as they enter the quote-unquote real world. I'm open to all genres and would love to read whatever you recommend. Boy, howdy, do we have recommendations for you. <laughs> we have so many. Um, first, I'm going to do our first sponsor, and then we will get into our answers for this. Um, so our sponsor, our first sponsor for the show is Jacob's Colors by Lindsay Howden. This is uh, from Carcass. It came out in January. It is January right now, so you can go get it. Um, and this is a historical fiction interlocking story thing, which is a thing that I really like in books. It weaves back and forth in time and place uh, during World War II, World War II Austria, Switzerland, and then the 1920s in England. And it's telling the story of Jacob, who's an eight-year-old gypsy boy, his father, Yavi, and his mother, Lore. His mother is actually English. Um, so let's see, Austria in 1944, um, Jacob is on the run for his life as a half Roma boy. All he's got are his sackcloth shoes, a stone and a small wooden box. And he's just running out of uh, running for his life. Um, but he is pretty uh, intuitive. He knows how to kind of read the weather and the land so he knows where to find food he knows when he needs to seek shelter he knows when to trust a stranger when to not trust a stranger based on his life as growing up Roma Um, the only thing that's new to him in this situation or unfamiliar to him is that he's totally alone and lonely and so the book follows him as he tries to survive basically um 
And then you get the kind of backstory of his father and the backstory of his mother. And it's mostly about the painful legacies that we pass down, you know, from one generation to another, set amidst the backdrop of the war-torn countries of early 20th century Europe and World War II, which is a time that I really, really love. And it's mostly told through the point of view of Jacob, of, a, of this eight-year-old boy. Um, and books that can really nail the child protagonist or the child narrator without being precious are like a rare and beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's it. Check out Jacob's Colors with a K, J-A-K-O-B, Jacob's Colors by Lindsay Howden. And there will be a link to it in the show notes below. All right, you want to give your first rack for this? Yeah, because I had so many. Okay, uh, go, go. So my very first recommendation for you and for all people of the world <laughs> is My Boyfriend Barfed in My Handbag by Jolie <laughs> Kerr. <laughs> Have you read this book? No. <laughs> it's so good. The title is kind of gendering, but like seriously, dudes also. I have given this as a present to dudes like at their request. Um, she lays out like super basic but essential cleaning practices. Like there's a chapter on how to mop a floor. I did not know until my 30s when I read this book that I was mopping floors wrong, but I was. Um, like there's there's stupid things that nobody ever teaches you that are so important in like not being a gross person or just like you spill something and you don't know how to get it out of a carpet or a couch. Like how many times did that happen as like, I still rent and this is a perpetual problem. Like Jolie has answers for you. I highly recommend, highly, highly recommend. I think my first pick is similar to that. It's Adulting by Kelly Williams Brown. And this is a book based on, I think it was a Tumblr that I follow or still follow, an amazing Tumblr about basically how how to be a grown-up um, when you've graduated from college, especially if you're the kind of post-grad who still, you know, wears pajamas to the grocery store, which is something I still do when I'm in my 30s. So whatever. Maybe I don't have it all together. Um, <laughs> it's fine. There is um, nothing wrong with pajamas. There's so really not. And I just cannot care. I cannot no, care. So the, this book is covering the adulting things that no one really teaches you how to do, like the things that you should be looking for when you're renting an apartment, not just like, is my favorite restaurant down the street, but like how to make sure the stove works, that kind of stuff, how to fix a toilet, how to find a mechanic who's not going to rob you blind, how to avoid hooking up with people in your office, which is a thing you should really stop doing once you graduate from college, yeah. um, where to find news sources so you aren't uh, totally like unplugged from the world and uh, current events and stuff like that. So it covers lots of stuff about cleaning and how to take care of your, you know, your objects and how to cook for yourself. But just the general day-to-day errandy stuff of like, what does can you really only dry clean dry clean only stuff like stuff like that that you're forever googling once you get out of college but you don't have like a trusted one trusted source um and this book is that it will teach you how to adult in 460 steps it's so crazy how many things you realize you don't know yeah like and that nobody ever bothers to teach you it's it's insane um okay so my next pick is hyperbole and a half by Ali Broche which is a comic memoir um and while you are busy trying to adult <laughs> this book is your friend yes uh, Ali Broche has struggled with um depression and um also just like the normal stuff of like emotional upheaval and dating and trying to be a grown up while also maybe being broke or like having a dog that's crazy she's so funny and so genuine and so smart about 
how difficult it is sometimes to try to be a grown-up. Um, it's just like the essential emotional companion, I feel, to that stage of your life when you're like, but I'm supposed to have my shit together, but I don't. And I have a lot of feelings about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my It is so funny. And she's got a new book coming out this fall. She does. I'm so excited. Ali Brash for president. Yes. Uh, maybe her crazy dog for vice president. Yeah. <laughs> so my second pick for you, uh, Jared, is Getting Things Done by David Allen, which is... Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, book Riot would not exist if no. this book did not, like, was not in our brain. And it's it's um, kind of recommend, highly suggested reading for all new employees when they come on. Um, to book right. But this is a task management, project management, life management kind of productivity book. And it functions on the idea that your brain is a horrible place to store things, especially if you're a creative person or no matter what kind of thinker you are, trying to remember all the things that you need to get done and just depending on your brain to remember them for you is bad news bears because you're it's not going to happen as most of us know who have tried to do that and keeping post-its everywhere and lists everywhere um, doesn't work so the idea here is that you need to get everything that you need to do out of your brain as it comes to you so all of the from everything from like I need to figure out a way to get a promotion to I need to buy a house to like I have to remember to go buy groceries big, small, whatever. And then the book teaches you how to break those down into actionable steps and set up a system uh, to remember how to do all the things. And the reason why it's so like life-changing for me or was for me is that once I get all of that noise out of my head, I've got way more mental bandwidth to think about like creative stuff or to have new ideas or to have new, uh, you know, like insights into a problem that I'm trying to untangle or whatever. Um, so it's it's a big mind switch from, I think, how you're taught in school to handle tasks and project management, but it will totally change everything about how you do everything in your life. Um, and it's great not just for people who are like getting started in a new career, but if you're managing time, even if you're still in college, there's so much to manage when you're in college, no matter where you are in your life, it's going to be helpful. And there's a new edition just came out um, I think this year? No, l- last year. It was year. last year, yeah. It's yeah. super good, too. He, like, the original edition got super heavy into file folders. Yeah. And when I read it, I was like, yeah. Mm. But the new one really, like, clears that stuff out and deals with a digital workplace. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they don't, like, David Allen, who's the author, doesn't endorse any particular, no. No. like, he's not trying to sell you software, you know, or whatever. Oh. So it's, you can take the information that you get out of the book and then apply it into whatever app or whatever system works for you. So, yep, yep. Um, Okay, my next one is a science fiction novel called The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. Uh, This book, which I read in, it was either late high school or early college, really blew my mind open because it was the first time that I had ever understood that gender was a construct, mm. um, like a social construct. <laughs> it's not necessarily about biology. Uh, and that was just like a really intense, interesting thought. And I feel like that experience of having your brain just kind of blasted open. You get a, I mean, it can happen in college. If you have good professors, it happens. But I just feel like you get so stuck in certain mindsets. And um, if you haven't read it, this book is a great one. Um, it's about a interplanetary ambassador who gets sent to this planet where it's like basically always winter. And they have a really different kind of biology. Like they're humanoid, but they have a very different kind of biology. Um, and it's also about friendship and like 
hiking in the snow and survival and social mores. And it's just an amazing book. I love that book so much. Oh, so good. All right. My last pick is also a novel. It's called The Interestings. It's by Meg Wallitzer. And this uh, follows, it's huge. It's a big, a big read. It follows six teenagers at a summer camp for the arts who develop this friendship. And they call themselves as a group, The Interestings, because they are art camp pretentious kids like you do. Um, And I relate. I was that kid. So like, I feel this pain. Uh, And then it follows them as they develop their talents and abilities or lack of talents and abilities through college into their careers into middle age, um, you know, and as their fortunes rise and fall and their relationships come together and split apart and they marry each other and get divorced and all of these things. So you're following this group of really, really smart people self-proclaimed interesting people, artsy, talented people, as they do or do not do something with those talents. And the thing that I like about this book is that not everybody in it who has artistic ability or who has an innate um, creative bent ends up doing anything with it. Some of them end up doing jobs that are, quote unquote, you know, like kind of mundane, whereas other people in the group become wildly successful and wealthy doing art. And I don't, I mean, um, with Jared, the person writing in this question doesn't mention what he majored in. He might have had nothing to do with um, art at all. But it's an interesting novel about watching your friends do better than you and like the weird feelings that that can bring up in you because you want them so much to succeed, but also it feels almost like a zero-sum game. Like the more success your friends have, the less there is out there in the universe for you. And watching these characters deal with it sometimes really poorly and sometimes with a lot of grace um, can make you kind of just kind of feel better, especially when you're post-college and you're trying to find a job and your friends are maybe finding jobs faster than you, which was an experience that I certainly had. Um, But yeah, you'll relate. I feel like anyone just out of college will really relate to all the feelings in the interestings. Uh, so I love that book a lot. Nice. Um, and my last pick is Bad Feminist uh, by Roxane Gay, which is an essay collection. And I recommend it not just because, I mean, I don't know if you are a feminist or not, um, but part of what that book is about is struggling to live up to your own ideals, which is something that I had such a hard time with in college after college today. Um, and I feel like it's a thing that we don't talk about a lot as a culture. Like you, especially in social media culture, you're trying to constantly perform the best version of yourself, which can be a good thing and can be a bad thing. Um, but being open to talking about the ways that we fail and um, what it means to have a relationship with pop culture and social media, as well as with academia, because Roxane Gay is a professor um, and a teacher. And so she talks about the university setting as well as like daily life outside of the university. So I feel like that's a really useful book to have in your arsenal. I mean, to talk about that book later in the show. Yeah, we're at, like, I feel like it's going to come up once an episode. Yeah, I know. Welcome to the Roxane Gay podcast. Seriously. My oh, license okay. plate says bad feminist. Um, and I've noticed that this is totally unrelated, but I've, I've started to notice like when cars pull up behind me and people start taking pictures of oh. my license plate. Is that weird? <laughs> That's amazing. And I keep wanting to talk to Roxane Gay about it on Twitter. Like people are taking pictures of your book title on my car. I wish that like, this is stupid, but I wish that you could put like a QR code on there that would lead them to a link to her book. Oh, that would be amazing. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yes. It probably wouldn't work, but that yeah. would be super cool. Dear state of Virginia, I need QR yes! codes. <clears throat> I would like a QR license plate, please. <laughs> All right, question number two. This is from Ciara. The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern has left a void in my heart. No other books can fill. What do I read next? This is pain that I know. 
<laughs> I just explained that I know. Okay, I think you have more than me, so yeah, you go first. Yeah, I had a little trouble reining myself <laughs> this time around. Um, so when I read this question, I hear you, that book is really the number one thing I think of when that book, when I think about that book was what a delight it was to read. Um, it's hard to find a book exactly like that book. So instead, I focused on that feeling of just like utter delight and in being enraptured with the story process. And so my first pick is one you have heard me talk about before. It's Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. Such a delight. Such a good book. It's got magic. It's got drawing room stuff, which uh, Night Circus has. Um, it has these great characters that you just like want to get to know and you wish they were real, much like the Night Circus. Um, I just think it's so much fun and the characters are amazing and I love it and I think you would like it too. Okay, my first pick for this is The Quick by Lauren Owen. And it's got mad drawing room stuff happening in the same way that the Night Circus does. But the thing that I love about the Night Circus when I... Um, when I think about it, is like just the atmosphere. It was so atmospheric and dark and like Victorian-ish and um, I don't know, like artsy mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. this really yeah. kind of gothic sort of way. And The Quick is just like that. So it takes place in London in 1892 and it's following a, a college student, I guess, at the time. He's in Oxford. His name is James. And he falls in love with a charming young male aristocrat and he's a poet so there's a lot of like brooding you know and feelings and stuff <laughs> for the first like quarter there's so like, much brooding it's, it's like mad brooding um and in having this friendship with this aristocratic guy friendship quote unquote uh he gets introduced into like high society high london society and then he vanishes without a trace and there's a big genre shift in the book at the moment that he vanishes um and i'm not gonna tell you what it is because it's kind of spoilery i guess and so his sister Charlotte sets out from their country estate trying to find him. And in trying to find, hunt down her brother, she encounters all of this, these like secret high society worlds, a secret, like an actual secret society in Victorian London, which is very night circusy. Um, there are like uh, female acrobatic vigilantes, which is a very night circus kind of thing to have uh, street urchins who have. Um, really deadly secrets and are themselves kind of assassins. It's just uh, no character is who they appear to be. And there is that Victorian fantasy, dark brooding um, atmospheric thing happening. And I can't really tell you anymore because, ah, spoilers, spoilers, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's not a romantic element like there is in the Night Circus, but well, they're kind of, yeah. Yeah, sort of, not really. Yeah. It's not the main point. Like right. it kind of is in the Night Circus. But the atmosphere, I think, is something that you'll like. Uh, my next pick for you is a very different kind of book on the surface um, from the Night Circus. It's called Redemption in Indigo by Karen Lord. It is a fantasy novel based on a Senegalese folktale. Um, and much like the Night Circus, it just kind of opens into a world that maybe you've never, you feel like you've never seen before and is also like a sheer delight to read. It's so much fun. Um, it follows a woman named Pama who is leaving her husband because he is just an idiot. And, um, and he follows her to her home village. Um, and she's trying to get rid of him. And at a certain point, she attracts the attention of like these supernatural natural beings and gets given this object of power. Um, but the way that she uses it is really unexpected and different and kind of like 
almost mundane in the same way that the night circus like takes things that are otherwise very normal and makes them magical. Um, and it's just like the writing is super interesting because it follows the rhythms of folk tales a little bit. Um, and it's just Karen Lord is like a force and, and this is her first novel. And I think it is a super good one. Okay, my second pick is Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor. And the thing that I like about this when it comes to the Night Circus is the Night Circus was kind of in, unclassifiable. Like, some people called it YA, which I didn't really understand. Um, but it's really, like, this kind of dark fantasy. And Daughter of Smoke and Bone is like that. It is YA, but it's mo- it's really just a kind of dark fantasy romance. And so it's about uh, our world, but in our world, there is a, you know, a shadow world, as there often is in YA, um, where angels and demon-y figures have been at war for a millennia. Um, and the main character's name is Karu. And she was, she's an orphan. She was raised by the the demon figures in this book, which you would imagine they would be the bad guys, but they're not, which is nice. Both the, the angel and the demon sides in this war are, are very humanized. Like, they're, they both have their motives. No one's good. No one's bad. Everyone's just very complicated, as it often is in the case of war um so she's raised by these demon figures and her job is to collect teeth for them and she doesn't understand why um but she knows it has something to do with the the magical world that she exists in um and then she encounters one of these angels that she's supposed to be at war with who is coming to destroy basically her adopted family um and there is a star-crossed love situation because this girl doesn't know who she is and she doesn't understand why she was taken in by these you know they're kind of monsters but not really i mean they raised her and she loves them um so it's got that magical uh love thing happening where the love between the two characters is controlled by outside forces and they can't really do anything about it and they have to find a way to come together uh despite the fact that the people that they are most loyal to are sworn enemies, which is kind of exactly the plot of the Night Circus. And it's got that same atmospheric, gothic-y kind of thing. It takes place a lot in Prague, which is really atmospheric in the same way that the Night Circus is. Um, And it's a trilogy. So if you read the first one and you like it, there is more story to be had. Nice. That magical love thing would make an excellent show title. Yeah. (laughs) I changed my mind about the next one. So let's do question three. Okay. (laughs) Moving Um, on. Go ahead. You read it. Okay. Um, This is from Jenny. I'm not a huge short story reader, but I do like novellas, particularly ones with beautiful language or imagery. I really like the work of Eileen Chang and Banana Yoshimoto. What other authors should I read? Bonus points for diversity and or works in translation. You want to go first? Sure. Okay. Um, I immediately thought of the New Directions Pearls series, which is just like a, literally a whole series of novellas, most of which are translations. Um, yeah. And they're really beautifully packaged. And they're like tiny and they look so nice on your shelf. Um, and my favorite one that I read, I haven't read many of them, but I've read a few. And my favorite one that immediately came to mind was The Hall of the Singing Karyatids by Victor Pelevin. Pelevin, I'm not sure how to say his last name. He's a Russian writer. Um, and that novella is about a young woman who gets hired to be a living statue at a party. But that is not actually what's going on. And there's like some really weird stuff that happens. <laughs> I don't want to say too much because it's a novella and like the twist is the whole point of the whole thing. But it's really sort of magically surreal. Um, I thought the prose was great. It's a really bizarre, really interesting read. Uh, so um, my first book, book, my first pick is Nowhere to be Found by Bai Sua and it's translated by Sora Kim Russell, and this just came out this year. It's super slim. It's 108 pages. Um, and 
this is about a nameless young girl. She lives in Korea, and it takes place during one winter. And she's she's poor. She works a really menial office job. Um, she has a romantic relationship she's not at all invested in. She has uh, relatives. Like, she lives with her parents and her brother, and she's not at all really close to any of them either. And it's really, a, like, a really slim book about the worthlessness of life, kind of. Um, and <laughs> Not to be like a downer, um, no. But you never find out her name, and she's—it's interspersed between accounts of her day, like what seemingly boring and mundane accounts of like I went to work and did this thing, and my job is boring, but it's not the worst, and I'm surviving, but only sort of. Um, to chapters where you get in her head a little bit more, and it's and you see that underneath this like calm ennui and indifference, she's just this, like a ball of rage. And um, like sorrow, and it's it's stark. Like the language is really stark, but it's also really affecting. And I don't know, it made me cry, which I never never cry, never cry at books, especially something this short. If I'm going to cry, it's going to be like War and Peace. Like I invested seventeen hundred pages, and now it's over, and now I'm sobbing. Um, but it's just a gut punch. It's a gut punch, and you. I feel like depending on the kind of person you are, uh, that will like. Uh, determine how you react to it. You'll either see it as a book about um, how noble it is to try and strive and get out of situations that you can't stand. Or if you're a pessimist at heart, you'll kind of see it as like an affirmation that trying is sort of worthless. So I don't know. It'll say a lot about you, how you react to the novella. But yeah, I loved it. And so there it is. <laughs> nice. It's it's like a Rorschach test. Yes, it really is. <laughs> Interesting. I'm afraid to read it now. Um, <laughs> my next pick for you is uh, The Diamond as Big as the Ritz by F. Scott Fitzgerald, which is part of another novella series. I'm full of novella series. This one is Melville House's Art of the Novella. Also really beautifully packaged, really nice to have on your shelf. Um, so F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote a fairy tale, basically, <laughs> um, that, which I don't think a lot of people know. Um, and in this one, uh, he, which is like based on an actual summer he spent working on a ranch in Montana. Um, it's about a Southerner who goes out West for summer vacation with a classmate. Um, and it turns out that the family is like more than just wealthy. They actually own a mountain that is a diamond. <laughs> um, and there's a bit of a love story and there's a bit of some, there's some serious peril involved. Um, and it's a really smart, funny, interesting story that you would not expect necessarily if you, if all of you've read of Fitzgerald is a great Gatsby. All right. My other pick for this is called Moods. It's by M-O-O-D-S. It's by Yoel Hoffman and it's translated by Peter Cole. And this book is so weird, y'all. Like it's, you can't, I don't, is is it poetry? Is it fiction? Is it philosophy? Is it a memoir? Yes, no, all of the above, kind of. Like, it's part novel, part memoir. Um, it's short, short little chapters, as the title would imply, um, that cover various moods. And they're about everything from, like, a dog he saw once that he really thought was cute, to daily life in Galilee, to, like, the meditation on an old phone book. And that sounds hmm. really silly, almost, but they're not. They're, it, it's really evocative, so he can make any little daily mundane... I keep saying mundane in this show. I don't know what that's about. I said uh, it first. Okay. I, it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> he can make any boring detail of life um, like indicative of you know sorrow and love and the, the heights that your soul can attain and all of this kind of stuff. And 
it's a little schizophrenic, the book is. Like, it, it jumps back and forth between being really joyful to being really sorrowful to being about nothing to being about everything and the chapters are a page or two but I really like that and it's it makes for interesting bedtime reading if you're the kind of person who like I take a long time to fall asleep because I can't turn my brain off so when I read one of these little chapters and then I sit and like meditate on the meaning of life the universe and everything for an hour before I fall asleep and I I like that I know that's not for everyone but um yeah it's an unclassifiable novel-ish but the writing is so beautiful it's and I read it with a pen um you know you're gonna underline a bunch of stuff if you're into that which I am so yeah read it and then let me know what you think because I don't know what it is (laughs) read it and then tell me what it is (laughs) homework get booked homework um I just wanted to do also mention that uh Tor.com's new publishing arm has a novella series. Um, We'll put the link in the show notes, but if you are a fan at all of science fiction or fantasy and novellas, they have a bunch coming out. um, And I've read one or two of them and they're super good. Um, So there'll be a link to that in the show notes. I just feel like novella series are a thing that I love that exists, I guess. Yeah. It's really nice. Because otherwise I would have no idea where to find novellas. Like, how do you find that? I don't know. I love the art of novella. I'm glad you talked about that. Yeah, yeah. So good. So pretty. Mm-hmm. Okay, question right. four. Your turn. I will read this one. Uh, this question is from Maria. Hi, I'm a big fan of fantasy and sci-fi and have been looking for a new book or series to get into. Do you know any novels that combine the two together? A little like Dune, I suppose. I'd love to read about a magic system that's either explained by science and or is combined with it. Thanks so much in advance and good luck. Um, that is a great question. Yes. Good question. What a good question. Do you want to go first? No. <laughs> okay. Well, you have good ones, though, but okay, I'll go first. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, my first series that I'm going to mention, like, don't hate me, but I think you can still find it. It's a little bit, it's out of print or hard to, hard to find, but totally worth it, is a series called The Keltiad, with a K, by Patricia Keneally. It is Celt in space. It's the Irish in space. The premise <laughs> of the whole series is that, like, when St. Patrick came to Ireland, he drove out all the quote-unquote snakes, meaning the magical beings, and they all went on a spaceship and, like, settled a new planet in outer space. And you can't see my face right now, but, like, I, like, get so excited talking about this series because nobody has read it. Except I found, like, two people in my life who have also read these books, and they're so much fun. But anyway, so in – and then many, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later – Earth has reached its intergalactic age and it's sending out probes to try to find new, make contact with other places and they stumble across the Celtic worlds. And, um, and so it's about sort of the reunion of the Irish in outer space and Earth and the Celts have both magic and super cool technology. Um, and it's a war story. Um, and so, yeah, the original trilogy, um, which starts with, how could I not have looked that up for you? I failed you. Um, let's see. The very first one is The Copper Crown. Um, and it's got a kick-ass queen named Erin who is just trying to keep her people safe. Um, it's really smart and interesting. And then there's another trilogy that's kind of based on the Arthurian legends. And that is as far as you should read. There's two, there's a couple others. Don't read them. (laughs) Read the Aaron books and the Arthur books and that's it. Um, But they're super, super fun and good. Okay, I'll stop talking about the Celts in space now. I'll stop. Celts in space. Celts in space. That's a show title for you. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, my first pick is Who Fears Death by Nettie Okorafor. And this takes place in a post-nuclear dystopian Africa. And it's in one region. It's kind of nameless. There is a um, like ethnic genocide happening. The aggressors are called the Nuru, and they have decided for their own um, religious reasons to exterminate the Okeke, which is another ethnic group that lives in the area. And so one surviving member of an Okeke village is raped by a Nuru man, and she manages to escape. She wanders into the desert, and then she gives birth to a baby girl, and that baby girl is our main character, and she's named a name that means who fears death in an ancient African tongue. And um, so you follow this baby as she grows up and discovers that she's a shapeshifter, and she's got... um, a lot of like a big, big magical destiny to end the genocide of her people. And she gets reared up under the tutelage of this traditional shaman to uh, figure out how to use her kind of magical realist uh, abilities to make that happen, to end this genocide. And it's all, it, the book is, it's about her, I mean, tradition, there's a lot of history. Obviously it's got a lot of obvious uh, relevance to modern events. And the thing that I think, um, will appeal to the person who asked this question is that, well, it's got a lot of desert stuff like Dune, but also the the magic in this book is um, very ordered. Like it's it's shamanic and all and um, kind of mysterious, but it's also got a lot of logic. And there's a very clear path that she has to take to take advantage of it and learn how to use it. And I think when somebody's looking for like sci-fi fantasy sort of thing, they want the magic to not just like exist like it needs an explanation it needs a little bit of analysis uh, it needs some some rationality behind it and there is that in this book and also it's got that sci-fi element in that it's post-apocalyptic um, and the world that a core four builds has a lot of tech in it which is sort of not the normal thing that you get when you read mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. a magical realism or a fantasy novel but it's got a lot of tech and uh, it, it's built into the world in a really natural way in a, a way that's similar to dune so I really like that book a lot who fears death? Nice. Uh, my next pick is a graphic novel series called Saga. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples does the art, and they are an amazing team. And Saga takes place in an intergalactic, multi-species space, and some of those species have magic. Um, It follows a couple who were both soldiers in this terrible, terrible war, and they're from different peoples entirely. Like, they don't even really share certain physical characteristics. Um, They fall in love. They escape from their respective military situations, and they have a baby, which is just totally taboo for the two two races to um, intermingle. And so they are on the run um, with the baby. And this series, which is still ongoing, there's still more of it um, happening. And, like, every day it rips my heart out. It's so amazing. It's so good. It's so sad. Um... And it's such a lived-in universe. Like, when it first started, Brian Vaughn was talking about how his goal was to make a universe that felt a lot like the Star Wars universe. Like, it felt lived in. It wasn't, like, all shiny and new. It was, like, Mm -hmm. it had some dings on it, and there was history, but there was also the future that was unfolding. Um, And it's just really amazing. And if you're not familiar with graphic novels, I think this is a great one to start with. Like, it's very 
well framed. It's not complicated in any way that's going to make it hard for you to read. Like once you get used to the flow of the dialogue and how the art works in connection with it, um, you'll be just totally fine. So yes, Saga. Everybody should read Saga. I agree. It was the first, it was the comic that got me into comics. I was not yeah. a comics reader at all until I picked up Saga. And mm-hmm. I picked it up because the first trade has Alana on it and she's breastfeeding. And I had yes. never seen a, co- I had never seen a comic at, at all with a, a brown mother ever. And yeah. so that's what made me pick it up. And it's, it's super so controversial, good. actually, that panel. Yeah. I mean, several of the panels, because it yeah. also opens with her giving birth, basically. <laughs> um, and it's, there's a fair amount of nudity. It is, it is, it was very controversial, the breastfeeding panel in particular. Good, good lord. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. Yeah, everybody okay. reads on Okay. Uh, my second pick for you is called Dawn. It's the first book in the Xenogenesis series by Octavia Butler. And, man, this book is such a mm-hmm. mind... I can't say it. Um, so the main <laughs> character's name is Lilith. She wakes up from what she discovers is a centuries-long sleep to find herself on a spaceship. Um, or, well, she doesn't know that. She wakes up to find herself in a cell. And she's there for days, months. She kind of loses track of time with no interaction. She never sees another human being. Um and then, or another being at all, and then she loses time. So she wakes up and then is unconscious for a while, then wakes up as an unconscious for a while. And then, um, after one of these cycles, a creature covered in writhing tentacles wanders into her cell um, and tries to kind of tell her what's going on. And it turns out that these creatures are called the Owen Kali, and they have saved um, humanity or what's left of humanity from a dying and destroyed earth. And in this future, we have destroyed the planet and these aliens have come and rescued what's left of humanity and brought them onto their ship where they are, uh, putting them to sleep for long periods of time in order to give them increased strength and longevity and keep them alive. And while they're doing that, they're trying to heal the planet and their plan is to repopulate the earth with the remaining human beings, but also, by like combining the genetic material, their own genetic material with humans to create like a super species. It's uh, so trippy and weird. Um, but the world building and um, descriptions of the spaceship and the, the aliens themselves are so intricate and very Dune-like. Um, so you get into like the, the language that they speak and how their spaceship operates and how their spaceship is actually alive. And there's a lot of like weird genetic science stuff happening. It's actually kind of hard. The science is a little hard mm-hmm, sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And I just really, I don't know why this reminded me of Dune so much. I think just because it's so descriptive of the, of the world and it gets so intricately detailed about how, the world functions, but at the same time, even though you're looking at these minute and interesting and fascinating world-building details, it's really about, like, the destruction of the human race in the same way that Dune is about, like, the destruction of the universe. Um, So, yeah, I think you would like that. And, of course, it's the first in the series, so you can continue on if you feel the need. Very nice. I forgot to mention Saga is also super political. Like, there's a ton of politics inside of the story, not, like, political in terms of, like, our world necessarily. It's political in terms of their world, which, like, Dune is just 100% politics. Yes. (laughs) Um, Okay, so my next pick is the first book in a new series. Uh, The second book, I believe, is coming out. I actually don't know. I don't want to say that it's this year in case it's not, and then I'll cry. Um, But anyway, this is the first book. It's called The Fifth Season. It's by N.K. Jemisin. It is amazing. It takes place in a world that 
has a long history of basically geological apocalypse says like every now and then the world just erupts and humanity the well quote unquote humanity, the people that live on this world have kind of gotten used to it. So they've built this system of lore and like of building and like a st- political structures that are meant to withstand regular, huge, like catalytic events. Um, and, but there's also a, a type of person who's born into this world who has earth powers. Um, And so there is this combination of sort of inexplicable powers and then tech surrounding those powers. Um, And so there's several interlocking narratives about which I don't want to say too much because the structure of the book is really integral to the unfolding of the plot. But um, there are like there's 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 some really heavy stuff that happens um, in really beautiful ways. So it's about family. It's about finding your place in the world. It's about dealing with injustice. It's about the ways in which like we lie to ourselves about what's necessary. Um, And it's just so good. It's such an enjoyable, interesting read, so action packed. Um, And there are these moments where the magic and tech interact in like really devastating ways. So yes, the fifth, season okay so my last pick for this was um the pern series the dragon yes! writers of pern. <laughs> I love that you wrote that down <laughs> jam um these oh i lost my page these are the series is by ann mccaffrey i'm so that was so Sorry, enthusiastic i'm so excited <laughs> um so you're following a girl named lessa who lives in i don't remember if it's the name of the planet or the name of the like village but it's bend and weir is where she lives and she is a lowly ragged kitchen girl in this world, um, and then she meets a queen dragon, and they become bonded. And so she has in this society, when you bond with the dragon, you become the dragon rider, and then you elevate yourself in society. You know, several rungs. So that happens to her. And the reason why they have dragons is to protect their planet from what they call the thread, which is a substance that falls from the sky in like thread-like, a thread-like manner, and just burns everything it touches. So when the thread falls, the world is basically destroyed. This hasn't happened in centuries. So long, uh, so much time has passed that a lot of people in her society kind of feel like it's never going to happen again. Like whatever was causing it is gone. They don't know what's causing it, but whatever was causing it is gone. Um, And then it starts to happen again. The thread starts to fall and she has to kind of lead the dragons and their writers to protect the planet. And at the same time that this is happening, and of course this is super high fantasy, like dragons and weird stuff falling from the sky and saving the world and all that. Um, they're also figuring out using, like, I think, um, astronomy, right? Yeah, they're, to, to yeah, figure yeah. out what's causing that to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, what causes when the planets align in a particular way, uh, what's, ca- I'm not going to tell you what the reason for spoilers, but what's actually causing the thread to fall and what they can do to fix it. Um, and this also is a whole big, long um, series. Like, epically long. Super. So many books. Wheel of Time long, longer, I think, than Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Yeah, 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 longer than Wheel of Time. I think there might be, like, 30 Dragon Rider books. Yeah. In <laughs> Not all of them are as good, but, like, I want to say the initial, like, 15 are solid. Yeah, the first one is good. The first one's the only yeah. one that I've read. Oh, um, I've read all of <laughs> But I loved it, and I love Lessa. She's such a kick-butt kind of... Um, character and the book was written in like 
I don't I don't even know the 70s yeah yeah like 70s 80s yeah like a long time ago we started Mm -hmm. uh, when having a kick butt female lead in a fantasy novel was maybe not like super common but anyway so it combines the science and the high fantasy stuff in a really fun way a big long epic series like Dune love it go read it Yes, yes. Okay, uh, my last pick for you is um, the first book in, as for right now, there are two books. I'm unsure if there are going to be more or not, but it's called Turbulence, and the author is Sumit Basu, um, and it is about a young man who is on a plane, um, and a few days later, he discovers that he has superpowers, and it turns out that everybody on his flight has superpowers. Um, and this isn't basically our world. So like, we are not prepared for this. Um, and so, uh, it follows Amon Sen, who is the main character and his interactions with some of the other people who have powers, some of whom are going to use their powers for good. Some of whom are really not. Um, one of my favorite characters in this series is Tia, who is um, a housewife from like the northern part of India, and she can split into multiple bodies. Um, and what she, how she uses her powers and her whole personality. Oh, I just love her so much. Um, but all of the characters are great, and um, the first book is really, really good. And almost ends at a place where, like, when I heard that there was a second book, I was like, oh, wait, there's going to be more. Like, it's a satisfying ending, but then the second book really builds on what the first one sets up. Um, So it's kind of, like, not magic in the, like, chanting of spells kind of magic, more in the, like, this is an inexplicable phenomenon. Is it genetic? Is it supernatural? What the heck is going on? Um, Set in a world much like ours. So, yeah, super, super fun. Really smart. Really well done. Okay. Let's do our second sponsor. Yeah, yeah. It's so, us. It's us. <laughs> well, specifically the Book Riot store. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with our store, it's just store.bookriot.com. I will leave a link to the show notes below. And we have some rad stuff. We partner with Out of Print, so we've got their um, classic book cover t-shirts that you've seen everywhere. But we also have our own um, specific to Book Riot stuff that we've designed, like our Reader Die t-shirt, our Reader Die hoodie. Which, which I amazing. live in. Can it I is just so say, good. I live in that hoodie. It's, it's so, so good. good. Our Reader Die t-shirt is my favorite. It's got a skull on it and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And it gets so many comments when I wear it. Every single time I wear it. like, And the, the gender divide of the comments that I get are really interesting. Like, women, when they see it, are always like, oh, that's such a great t-shirt. Where did you get like, the very complimentary guys? Or forever like, is it really that serious? <laughs> Do you know, it's finally cold enough that I can wear my books hat around. Awesome. And that gets some really interesting looks. Like, I was walking to the office the other day, and this guy, just like standing reading a paper, looked at me and was like, books! And then went back to reading his paper yes that was really funny <laughs> that, yep that's correct sir <laughs> um we've also got a new um mug that i love it's a knuckle tat oh, mug yeah. it says bookworm uh it's just a hand on one side it says book on the knuckles on the other side it says worm which is a tattoo that i have considered getting in my life um oh, our book oh. life t-shirt is really awesome it's designed around old school tattoos with the like the banners and the heart and the roses um what else? We've got the Read More Books t-shirt, um, Read Harder. There's water bottles. Water I really bottles. like my water bottle. Wait, isn't there a bundle? Is there a bundle? There is right now, and that is something. You can buy one tea and get any pair of literary socks for free. My favorite socks are the Band Books one, which I'm wearing right yes. now, um, which one sock has the titles of the books on it, and the other one has the titles crossed out. 
And that's really cool. We also have polka dot socks, which are just socks with a girl post head on them. <laughs> because we're funny. Yeah. Anyway. We, are, we amuse ourselves <laughs> we at the very least. <laughs> we crack ourselves up. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, you can buy one any T-shirt from the Book Riot store and get a pair of socks for free. And just go to store.bookriot.com and check that out. So thank you to us, Shine Your Halo, for sponsoring <laughs> our show. All right, is it my turn to read a question? It's your turn. All right. This is from Lisa. I'm a high school English teacher always looking for title suggestions for the boys in my class, especially new titles with contemporary subject matter. What titles or authors do you suggest for reluctant male readers from the ages of 14 to 18? And what resources can I check for new titles? And again, that's Lisa. So you want to go first? Sure. My first pick for you is an entire publishing house. (laughs) Why not? Um, First Second Books does really amazing graphic novels. Um, They have an incredible group of authors and illustrators working with them, like um, award winner Jean Luen Yang, who is now the ambassador for, wait, what's it called? Is it the ambassador for children's literature? Oh, I don't remember. What's the title? It's a, John Sheska started it being a thing. Um, uh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> ambassador. I once got to- Library of Congress? Is it the Library of Congress? First national ambassador for- children's literature. I was right. Anyway, I was once at an event with John Cheska at PS where they did the, he taught the crowd to do the ambassador salam. It was hilarious. I don't even know, but that's John Cheska. Anyway, Jin Luen Yang is the new ambassador. He's really fantastic. Um, Dave Roman, who has a series about a kids who go to school in outer space. Um, Jorge Aguirre does amazing work. MK Reed. Like there's all of these incredible authors. And I find that when I, especially when I was in the bookstore selling to boys who otherwise just did not want to pick up a book with a lot of pages in it. Um, Graphic novels are so great because they feel like cartoons, but they can be very smart. They can have a lot of interesting concepts. They can have history. They can, they can be about anything. I mean, graphic, you know, it's a medium, not a genre. Um, So like, there's a huge range of topics that will appeal to a really wide range of readers. So basically anything for second puts out, I like unequivocally recommend, (laughs) um, definitely check them out for your, for your, yeah, for your students. Um, so my first pick for this was when I was the greatest by Jason Reynolds. Um, Jason Reynolds is an amazing poet and he was at Book Riot Live and I, he, uh, I saw him do spoken word stuff. Anyway, he's just oh, so good. Um, and this book is about three boys, Ollie, Needles, and Noodles, who are growing up in Bed-Stuy, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, Ollie is the main character. Needles and Noodles are brothers who move in next door. And let's see if I can remember this right. Needles has Tourette syndrome. So he blurts out random crazy things on the street Um, but it's, you know, it's fine. Everybody in their neighborhood knows that he doesn't mean anything by it. So he doesn't get in too much trouble, but then something happens. Spoiler. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. And his brother who is already kind of resentful of, um, his brother's condition takes the fall. And then, so it's a coming of age story about relationships between these three kids, which I'm not going to say that it's rare to have a YA book about boys because it's not, but to have one focusing on the relationship between, boys of color in a bad neighborhood is rare. <laughs> like, that's not a thing that you're going to come across a lot. And you were asking for things about contemporary issues. And this one is a lot about violence and gangs and, you know, raising kids in a bad neighborhood and 
the relationships that they forge and how they get through it and how they decide to do the right thing in situations that are really sticky and more complicated than we give kids that age credit for. Um, and it's just amazing. And everything that Jason Reynolds puts out, I think that boys that age, anyone that age, anyone who can read is going to like. So. Nice. <laughs> um, so let's see. My next pick is the author James Dashner. Um, he, I've been following his career since his very first series, which was with a very small publisher um, and was really cool and interesting. And then he's obviously now famous for the Maze Runner books, um, which I think are really fun. Um, I think that uh, I had a cousin who is a reluctant reader, and the way we got her to start reading was we gave her Twilight, and we we're like, no, really, everyone else your age has read this. Like, you just have to read it to, you know, so you'll have something to talk about with your classmates. Um, and that was a great argument, and I feel like the Maze Runner books are an excellent example of that. Um, there are movies, very good movies. Um, the books are action-packed, they're interesting, they're thinky in certain situations. Um, I just think that uh, the more, like, I know, I, I guess, I mean, there's arguments about like violence in literature and I don't know what to say about that, except for that, you know, these books are entertaining and they will move you through the story. And I think once you get hooked on one series, it's a lot easier to find yourself looking for other books that you like. Um, so yes, James Dashner, Maze Runner series, and also his earlier works, uh, also excellent. Yeah. There's something to be said, I think, just for the cultural literacy element of reading really popular. There really is. Yeah. Yeah. Like just so you can talk to people and have an opinion, like mm-hmm. an, an educated opinion. Um, okay. So my other pick for this is Complicit by Stephanie Kuhn. I think I'm spelling that right. K-U-E-H-N. Saying it right. Um, this I like for reluctant readers because it is a mystery thriller, a young adult mystery thriller. So it's super page turnery. And even if you don't like the characters, you're in it just to find out what's going on. Um, So reluctant readers will read the first chapter or two and then not be able to put it down. And it's about a 16 year old boy named Jamie who is in foster care and her um, his older sister is in juvenile detention for burning down their neighbor's uh, horse barn. Everybody knows that Kate did it. Everybody knows that she was a nice girl and then she started drinking and stealing and lying and doing weird stuff with other kids in the woods and everyone's happy that she's, you know, been put away. But then she gets out. He gets a phone call from his sister that she's out of juvenile detention and is coming back for him because she wants to tell him the truth about their past, what happened to their real parents, a truth that she's never told him, that she's kept hidden from him and everyone else in the town. Um, so you're kind of waiting for her to like show up. You don't know who to trust. You don't know when she does arrive, if she's got Jamie's best interest at heart, or if she is um, actually as awful as the town thinks that she is. And Jamie is a really unreliable narrator, and you slowly begin to realize that. And I think that's a cool thing for reluctant readers, because they can come to realize that like the world that an author is building isn't necessarily trust like isn't necessarily trustworthy and then that that gives you know somebody who isn't into reading for fun something to kind of chew on and think about and talk about later so if you want to talk with your students about the books that they're reading after they read them then this is a great conversation starter and it's got a big twist ending and yeah it's just really great uh, the next author that I am recommending is Scott Westerfeld. He is the author of the Uglies series, which was like huge, maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago. And has kind of faded, I think, but I am, that this was one of my favorite series to introduce like 
you know, kids who are newly in the YA section um, to, uh, because it's so smart and interesting. So the premise of the Ugliest series is that um, it takes place in a future where plastic surgery is the norm. Everybody is pretty um, once they hit their 13th birthday. So like you live, you know, when you're little, you're an ugly and you know, you look like you look. And then when you turn 13, you get surgery, all of your flaws are perfected and your life is suddenly wonderful and beautiful and perfect. Um, except that's obviously not what's really going on. And so it, uh, it's a really interesting series because it starts with the premise that I think a lot of teenagers, I mean, everybody can identify with like wishing that like someday somebody would just make you perfect um but what costs are involved in that what they don't actually know about the society that they live in um what really happens to people as they go through the plastic surgery um it's just a fascinating really smart way to get kids thinking about like superficialness about society about you know what we think we know about people versus what we actually know about people what like how much do looks actually matter? All of those things, which are important things for teenagers to think about. But it's like wrapped up in this wonderful, like action-y, smart, fun series bow. He also has a series, um, the first book of which is called Leviathan. And it's a steampunk I uh, love series. that series so yeah, much. Yeah, they're so good. And they're also illustrated. So like it's not as intimidating, I think, as, you know, like it's, they're large books, but a lot of that length is pictures. Um, so I think that that's also super fun. And they're super like for kids who are maybe interested in engineering or like inventing or tinkering. These are perfect. Yeah. yeah. And gender bendy. And gender bendy. Yeah. Westerfeld does a good job with, um, I feel like all of his characters, be they male or female, which I really appreciate. All right. Last question. Your turn. Oh, wait, wait. I had oh, a, oh, she sorry. also asked um, other resources and I, I don't have like a lot of ideas for this, but the diversity in YA Tumblr I think has really great recommendations that are off of the bestseller list. Like you're not necessarily going to, um, you know, know all of the titles that they have. Cause like you may well have already been teaching uglies. I don't know. Um, but the, the diversity in YA Tumblr, I feel like is constantly pulling together themed lists, um, highlighting new books, new authors that are just great to add to your arsenal. Um, our associate editor, Kelly Jensen, has a blog called Stacked that she started when she was a YA librarian that she runs with other people in the YA world that I think would be a good resource for that. They are always um, putting together lists and have a lot of resources for teachers and librarians. Um, and I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Is it our last question? Yeah. It's our last question. Uh uh, this question is from Terry from London. Uh, I hope you can help me. I have an almost 17-year-old daughter. She is intelligent and beautiful, but although she aced her exams and has been successful in finding a Saturday job, she lacks confidence. I would like to find her some feminist literature that will show her that she rocks and can achieve anything she sets her mind to. She goes through stages of reading. Sometimes she'll read nonstop for days. Sometimes when life gets too busy, she might not read for ages. She has read and enjoyed the Hunger Games and the Divergent series, and Kick-Ass Girls in fiction are all well and good, but I want to show her that Kick-Ass Girls can exist in the real world, too. I would love some recommendations for accessible nonfiction writing. Oh, yes. <laughs> you go real first. Real house. Okay, so my first pick for this was Bad Feminist, obviously. This is by <laughs> Roxane Gay. I'm not going to go too far into it because we already talked about it earlier in the show, but it's a collection of essays um, from Roxane Gay about feminism and modern life, and... Um, being how, how there's no real such thing as a perfect feminist. And when you're 16, 
reassurances that you're doing the thing the best that you can and that you don't have to be perfect, I think are helpful. Um, so if you wanted to give her something about maybe she's, I don't know, when I was that age, I didn't think too much about like the problematic nature of the pop music that I liked. <laughs> but it is something that you do need to think about maybe um not necessarily change what you're doing or listening to and you'd like what you like and that's fine. And that's the point. Um, but it'll take really complicated issues uh, around feminism and like historical feminism and intersectionality and makes them so accessible. Roxane Gay's writing is so, so accessible. A great book for any age, especially a 16 year old, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, my first pick is one I've talked about on the show before. It's called Poison Apples by Christine Hepperman. It is a collection of poetry Um, And they are all stories sort of based on fairy tales, but with a modern feminist slant. Um, And the thing that hit me so hard when I first read it was how much I wished I had had it going into college, because it really deals with all of these issues of like, like, I don't know, boys and dorm life and the pretty girl down the hall and eating and feeling good in your body, whether it's through athletics or like just acknowledging that you are who you are. Um, There's just so many complex emotions. And I think that Poison Apples does a really amazing job of highlighting that those emotions are real, that those are real things that you feel. It's okay to have those feelings. And like, here's here's a framework for looking at them and thinking about them. So my second pick is We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. This yeah. is super short. It's only 50 pages, um, so it'll fit right into her day. And this is based on a TED Talk that Adichie gave, obviously, about feminism that was sampled by Beyonce. So oh, there's yes. a name for a teenager right there. This book was sampled by Beyonce. Also, Sweden has started... Is it Sweden or Switzerland? Oh, I always get the mix up. I think it's Sweden. Has started giving Sweden. this book to every 16-year-old student in the country. Um, so there you go. An entire nation's stamp of approval on reading, on giving this to a 16 year old. And it's just a really accessible and basic and funny, um, definition of feminism for the 21st century. And it's about inclusion and awareness. And she talks a lot about, uh, institutional sexism, international institutional sexism. So it's not just about the U S she also talks about, um, Nigeria, which is where Adichie is from and abroad. She's lived abroad. So a lot in sexism in a lot of other countries, excuse me. And she also draws in on how feminism is helpful to men, which while is not, that is not a point of view that I think is necessary. It is a nice bonus. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it's so short and really great. And it's a great intro to someone who has maybe never thought about feminism as a, um, as a concrete concept, you know, I mean, and when you're 16, I think you're still so ideal, like you're, you're so full of ideals and you think, of course, everyone should be equal, but you don't really understand necessarily the um, institutional reasons why that isn't possible and what you can do maybe to counteract that. And this is a, a good intro. Yeah. Um, my next pick is I Am Malala by Malala Yousafzai. Uh, it is a memoir by the girl who got famous for being shot in the head um, while trying to ride the bus from school and survived. Um, And obviously she's been all over the news. I think she's incredibly inspiring. I think her story is amazing because, I mean, it's about growing up, you know, in a small 
village in northern Pakistan and becoming now somebody who goes on late night talk shows and talks to the United Nations. And I mean, we can't all be that brave. Um, but I think it's really amazing to look at the story of somebody who, like, you know, Katniss finds herself in these incredibly complicated situations and survives them. And But you think, well, that's fiction. But like, here's a girl who survived something really incredibly difficult and horrifying in real life and has gone on to use it for good. Um, and I think that that is a, just an incredibly inspiring thing to read about. Okay, my last pick is a book that I actually read when I was 16. It's called Bitch by Elizabeth Wurzel. And the subtitle is In Praise of Difficult Women, <laughs> which is such a great thing for a 16-year-old for to, to read. Um, Elizabeth Wurzel is a super polarizing figure. Uh, the stuff that she's written now, like in the past couple of years, is a little odd. But this book she wrote, you know, in 1998. So... It's fine. Anyway, um, <laughs> she's, it's fine. Just don't read anything that she's published in The Atlantic or wherever since then. Right. Um, but this book is great. So she's looking at uh, difficult women from history and religion. So she talks about, like, Delilah. She also talks about Yoko Ono and Hillary Clinton and, like, Nicole Simpson, um, Sylvia Plath and Marilyn Monroe and all of these women that society either puts on a pedestal or... Um, well, the society puts on a pedestal for being bad or objectifies for being, quote unquote, bad or difficult or too large, basically. And when you're 16 and you're, the world is sending you all these messages about how you need to shrink, you know, you need to shrink to you need to be nicer and you need to make yourself smaller and your opinion smaller and your voice smaller so that other people will accept you. This is a great uh, slap in the face of that stupid message that society sends girls. And it also takes on the double standard um, imposed on women where like, like the, oh, what's it called? Madonna whore thing where women yeah. can either be really, really good and then no one wants you or really, really bad. And then everyone hates you. Um, so it kind of dismantles that. And I think, and when you're in your teens, you're just starting to feel the effects of that. And so having it really spelled out, like, this is what's happening. This is why you feel that way, why you feel like you have to fit into either this box or that box, when in reality, you don't have to fit into either. Um, and using real life women to paint that picture, it was really useful for me to read when I was young. It's a big book. It's 500 pages. So I don't know if she'd be able to like get through the whole thing, but um, she could do it chapter by chapter. And it's interesting enough, I think, to really keep a teenager uh, interested. So yeah, that's bitch. By Elizabeth Wurzel. That's our show! Hooray! Jazz hands. Jazz hands! <laughs> so thank you for listening. Please, if you like the show, go rate us on iTunes. Give us a review. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. And Jen is at Jen IRL. Jen with two N's. Thank you so much to our sponsors, which were Jacob's Colors by Lindsay Howden and the Book Right Store. Thank you, us. And we will see you back here next week. <laughs>